0: Traffic Podcast. Welcome to the Emergency Traffic Podcast, where we talk about firefighter and paramedic light of duty deaths to learn from these tragic events and potentially prevent them from happening in the future. I'm your host, Paul, and today I'm joined by everyone. We are making a record here with how many times we've had all four of us here doug dirk and zach hello zach how are you today i'm good paul i'm good
1: i'm uh just getting ready to head back up to work here tomorrow so just kind of getting odds and ends kind of done before i leave so other than that just prepping for the long haul and you're gone for two weeks two weeks you betcha yeah <laughs> awesome yeah Maybe you'll, maybe you'll get a call your two weeks. May, oh you know what up there i'm i'm okay <laughs> <laughs> you're okay without yeah 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 short man short staff I, i'm i'm okay if we just you know have a nice time
0: Mind on the your, table your personal uh, your personal opinion of short man short staff, right based sure absolutely standards. absolutely based on absolutely. best practices cool cool and uh doug how are you doing
2: I'm good. Uh, as per usual, we record. I worked last night and work again tonight, so we'll see. Uh, last night was okay. We'll see how tonight goes. Uh, family's all back from visiting my wife's parents in Calgary, so it's busy for me here again. The house isn't empty, but it's all good. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to that we finally all got together to do this part two. We've tried a couple times.
0: It's a it's going to be a good show. Yeah, yeah. it's a challenge to get four people with busy lives and shift work and everything all together for sure. Dirk, how about yourself?
3: I'm not busy. I always uh, have time. <laughs> not uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm good now. I was sick last week. I actually had to stay home. I had a stomach flu that uh, gave me diarrhea for nice, four days. Nice. That was fun. And of course, then you take your peptivismal, and it turns into a little bit uh,
0: too much information,
3: uh, a little, little of a plug-up. So, yeah, but it, it helped my uh, it helped my weight loss th- uh,
1: efforts. So, we have <laughs> to get a rating yeah. on this parallel guidance. Good. So I'm, I'm back, back to too work much tomorrow. Viewer so. oh, yeah. discretion is advised.
0: <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, yeah. 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 Hey, I
3: use I use the appropriate terms. Appropriate Come on. Terms.
0: Yep, very good. Very good for ZJ.
3: Very PC of
1: you.
0: Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Anybody uh media check-in? Anybody good movies or books or anything lately?
3: Huh? No. Uh, family night, we watched Wakanda forever. Uh, I'm glad I didn't go to a theater. <laughs> <Okay>. So <laughs> 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 It was good entertainment, but it's good enough right, for at yeah. home. You know, don't have to go. And we see just started
1: it. watching that. Well, I've been watching it for the last little bit, but The Last of Us. It's a pretty good series. On. Uh, oh
0: right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. Did, it's did all filmed play,
1: in like Alberta, so. Right,
0: right. Did you play the game? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So a lot of it, I know what's going to happen, but it's it's interesting to watch the two comparisons. And I've say, only
0: ah. I've only played the first game. Like I really didn't get into it at first because. Uh, I don't mind, uh, like, first-person shooters, but I'm not really into all the zombies and having to beat them off with... It's a story-driven
1: game. That's that's really what it is. The
0: story really engaged me, and I really Mm -hmm. enjoyed it. But I haven't played Part 2 yet. No. No.
1: It's okay. I don't think we're going to run into Part 2 this season. No, I haven't. I I, I got rid of a PlayStation, so now I don't don't get a chance to play it. Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you got rid of the PlayStation. What?
1: PC Master Race. That's oh, That's what go. <laughs> yeah, I, gotta go, I gotta go
0: buy a new, ma- a new PC here right away. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Expensive.
0: Oh uh, yeah, anyway. I got one all picked out. Just gotta go pick it up. <laughs> a laptop, not a PC. Oh, there. You go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gaming, gaming <laughs> laptop for work, cool. of, course. Yeah. of course. Of course, of yeah. course, of <laughs> course. Cool. And I'm still addicted. To- yeah, enough with the nerding. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> okay well this week's incident so right now what we're going to do this is part two of the stricker street baltimore maryland episode where we're going to examine the recommendations and the changes initiated since the tragic accident occurred a little over a year ago on january 24th of 2022 all this information has come from the internal investigation that the uh, baltimore fire department did Uh, to investigate this incident. And they came out with uh, quite a few uh, sound recommendations. And so we're going to explore those.
2: So if you haven't listened to part one, go listen to part one first and then come back and listen to this one.
0: Part one will be published soon.
2: Uh, Hopefully part one is published before part two is published. That's the goal. That's the goal.
0: The objective is. (laughs) All right we're all driven by objectives, because that is ICS, and that's going to come up in this episode. Well, so going back to January 24th, 22, Baltimore City Fire Department suffered its most tragic uh, incident event uh, since they had a fire in 1955, the True Fit Fire, where six members were killed and a building collapsed. In this one, four members, three, four members were killed and several injured in a building collapse again. At about 5.51 in the morning, Baltimore 911 dispatch restarted receiving numerous calls for a reported dwelling fire, just a quick summary here, at those 600 hours, just three minutes after the battalion chief assumed command, and five minutes after the initial arrival of Engine 14, there was a catastrophic interior collapse of the original fire building. Three members from Engine 14 and one member from Truck 23, and two members for the engine 36 were inside the dwelling at the time of the collapse and were trapped. They'd all gone in the alpha side door after knocking down the fire that was evident on all three floors. On February 7th, 19, or 2022, at the request of Chief Ford, a board of inquiry began their investigation into the incident. Over the course of the next eight months, the board of inquiry worked to develop recommendations for change within the department. The Board of Inquiry's goal was to learn from the incident and define specific recommendations that could be shared with the department. They focused on several areas during the investigation. First, they worked on identifying current policies and procedures that were not followed or carry out, carried out during the incident. Uh, they also identified new policies and procedures that should be implemented because of the incident. After the initial couple of weeks of interviews and investigation, at the request of the chief, the board of inquiry provided the department with a list of immediate recommendations. These are uh, immediate recommendations to the chief and the command staff on March 22, 2022. This is all really recent stuff, right? It's all just last year. So uh, I noticed the similarity here with the Charleston event, where the uh, com- inquiry uh, committee which we had a guest host of uh, Chief Rutley of the Montreal Fire Department, who was the lead of the investigation or inquiry. They also provided uh, Charleston with a list of immediate recommendations to get working on right away. So notice some similarities there, so that, that's good. They wanna make it uh, clear that of course, the goal of the investigation, just like these podcasts, it's, it's not to find fault, but to better prepare for the future and prevent The goal of this investigation is to not find fault, just like our podcast, but to prepare for the future, prevent a tragedy from recurring. Many of the recommendations found in this report can also be found in past reports about close calls and line of duty deaths that the Baltimore City Fire Department had occurred. Uh, So there's a lot of similarities here that they built on. They created the following work groups to assist in assessing, planning, and developing, implementing many of the recommendations. They wanted a work group to look at the after action review specifically, the technology and communications, how the Special Operations Command worked during this event, uh, the manual procedure and what's needed to be improved in the manual procedure. They looked at their SCBA, they looked at fire prevention and investigation. The findings uh, of the committee overall uh, that after the plywood was removed from the front door significant fire conditions were present on all three floors and the report from side Charlie of the building was also fully involved. There were also signs of previous fire and structural instability units continued with an interior attack, despite these conditions being present so that's the big question overall that happened during this inquiry is, should they or should they have not gone in with these conditions existing? Although from those city watch cameras that we talked about, you can see that the fire was extensively knocked down uh, when the first aligned, just as they first went in. So the conditions were much better on that first floor uh, when they went in, don't you guys agree?
3: Yeah, it was definitely improvement uh, according to the videos. Um, and of course, if they would have entered, this whole thing could have been prevented. Uh, my question would have been, uh, there was a part of this building that was already collapsed. So these buildings, obviously, after they were b- burning a couple times, times, uh, the structure integrity is pretty compromised. So the question is, as you said, Paul, like, did they have to go in after it was fully involved? And we know that parts of the building already collapsed as uh, as a result of a fire so
0: but the sure. building beside uh which is attached big raw was occupied so although the end unit had collapsed years ago the second and third units had both had fires and damage the fourth unit was occupied they pull up what do you do, right? And I know Doug and I have had a few debates about, well, that's our job. we got to go in. We've got to make sure it's empty. Uh, we can't just go by the fact that there's plywood on the door, that it's empty. There was just a rescue somewhere yesterday. Where was it? Doug, Houston, Buffalo, somewhere, where they went into a vacant building and they, they found a, a person. I'm not sure if they found him. I think he was deceased. but uh, You know, it can happen, right?
2: The other thing I always say when it comes to, do you go in a vacant building or not, is A vacant building doesn't have any gas to it, doesn't have any power to it. So why'd the fire start? It doesn't just start like some house fires do with shitty wiring or something. Somebody had to be in there to start a fire. And I would bet money that Baltimore has lots of experience going in the same vacant buildings time and time again, fighting fires in the same thing over and over. And they were told that there was reports of people trapped at this fire. That's all why just,
0: I think they were not in. That in. Ad- not at that address, but that gets muddled during that first few minutes of response as to which address is occupied, right? Yeah.
2: That's what you keep harping on. What I read out of the report is a caller reported people were trapped. Later, a different caller said people were in a different building that there's still confusion of if there's people in this building. And I always, the thing about what you just read here, to me, it's not the fire condition that prevents you from going in the building. If you can hit that fire and make your way in and you're getting good knockdown and, and making a difference, it's that there was already signs of structural instability. That should have been the big red flag. The
0: other one would be the survivability profile of anybody in there, because you had three floors fully involved, both sides. Yeah, but
2: as a fire service, as a fire service, Paul, we can't talk about survivability percentage, and then tomorrow say close your door before you go to sleep, because your one room is going to be completely isolated from the rest of your house fire. There, people could have been in a closet or in a room with doors closed where from the outside sure it looks fully involved and they're in the look at the guy in Atlanta year, year and a half ago. Like it's not up to us to decide if they're going to survive or not. If we can make an aggressive push and we're knocking fire down, like you're seeing a change based on the intervention you're doing, then you can be going in. If you're at the doorway with a hand line and you're spraying, spraying, spraying and the fire's not changing, well then yeah, you're probably, you shouldn't be going in. But if you're, if you're at the doorway and you can fight your way in and you're getting change based on what you're doing, then you're starting to win. So keep going.
0: Yeah, and it looked like that from those pictures, right? So good, good little discussion just to get things started. Sorry, Zach, go ahead.
1: Oh, okay. I was just going to go off of what Doug said there. Like there's lots of uh, new new courses and, and new new presenters out there, um, guys that are doing the go, no-go program. Uh, um, courses, I guess, or presentations now, right? And it's amazing the amount of fire that you know how big and, and scary it can look when you show up, and then you apply a little bit of water, and that's when you make your decisions It's like, am I actually winning? Just like Doug said, you know, you apply yep. water. Am I going to win this? And if not, then okay, then it's defensive operations, right? But hey, if you are making a good knock on the fire, then that's that's time you reevaluate. Okay, we're going to go in. We'll see if we can continue to to progress and still knock back this fire those are the
0: conditions that you really have to. Okay, well, that's a great discussion to, uh, to segue into this, the recommendations. So the recommendations from the, from that item in particular were utilize NFPA 1500, which is the safety standard to develop and train members on the elements of a risk management plan that applies to all department operations and activities. The same with also the uh, US Fire Academy risk management practices in the fire service training that was developed in 2018 as an additional reference to development of plans. The department should assure proper si- scene size up is completed prior to interior fighting o- firefighting operations. And the scene size up should include a 360 size up or a detailed report from the Charlie side when a 360 is not possible. Uh, the incident commander should uh, ensure a detailed size up and risk assessment occurs during the initial fire ground operations, including the deployment of resources to Charlie side and a risk versus benefit analysis should be an ongoing assessment during all incidents. Consider providing training that promotes situational awareness to our members when operating on the fire ground and i think what they're looking at right there doug as to your point is what is the structure stability of going into this three-story walk-up building brick building with wood floors and that has had fire before twice um, and you could tell from the outside some of the roof was missing and stuff like that
2: so what the points, the points you just mentioned paul about the 360, and if you can't do a 360, having guys on the Charlie side, they did yep. that. The, the, the second do companies all went to the back and and gave the chief a report on like there's fire here too. Yeah,
0: so I don't so know why they picked that out because, like you say,
2: lots of these maybe maybe these recommendations are not only things that they didn't do right. Right, like it might be like you should do this, but they're not saying, and we right. did,
0: right. be yep they do talk about uh consider providing training relating to occupant survivability profiling Uh, so that's the controversial one there is that from the outside it would look like no one can survive in that building any bedroom has to have a window that's code so any windows all windows had fire coming out of them but were they in a place of refuge that could happen uh there was a really good there's a video i should find it and post it on the link i think it was scottsdale arizona did a rescue uh it's a command video we used during uh, our favorite command training program but they did a rescue the people were stuck in the bathroom and uh and they went in and and got them it was a really good save i will try to find that uh, that video and, and post a link to it but you know survivability profiling the Yeah, there was fire everywhere, but they were in the bathroom and the fire went in. And Using that
2: train of thought, Paul, using the train of thought you just mentioned, though, is you're putting a lot of faith that home or building owners slash occupants are following code. Every bedroom is supposed to have a window. Well, I just went to a call a while ago that this person's quote unquote bedroom was like a closet off the kitchen. There was no window yeah, to be well, seen when i was uh when right, i was like, in high
0: school i had an apartment and uh, we the one guy was renting a room from us and uh, he was sleeping in the storage room right everybody does that or unfortunately
2: i might have spent some time on a fire department as a casual worker but i spent some nights in the fire hall in a room sleeping that did not have an exterior right, window yep
0: but there was a fire separation between you and uh, and their apparatus floor though right that was my only uh my only uh, saving grace in that situation. I agree.
3: So, so duck can burn, but the truck is safe. Yeah, that's yeah, good. That's
0: right. <laughs> See, incident, the incident commander as well as chief officers who assume command should ensure strategy and tactics and incident action plan match the conditions encountered during initial operations and throughout the incident develop and implement standard operating procedures tactics training program for responding to incidents in vacant buildings because that's the real crux of the matter here is how do we deal with these and it's a problem you know in many many areas uh we get these you know cities in the united states and and up here in canada full of vacant buildings how do we respond how do we deal with those Is there people in there and how do we to you know make that make it safe for our firefighters and rescue those same people policies and training should reinforce the different operational modes as well as withdrawal and evacuation procedures because they didn't really they they declared a collapse zone at one point they did stuff like that and uh, it didn't it didn't happen so I think that's where that's coming from the uh, pilot program that they'd started in 2010 for unsafe vacant buildings uh, was not continuously supported and never fully implemented throughout the department and the absence of critical building information to responding units and the lack of a visual cue on the building, such as a sign saying this is vacant and it's not safe structurally, uh, would have was, was detrimental, of course, to the outcome of this fire. Therefore, they recommended that uh, they implement the program and policy that requires units to do visual inspections of their districts, identify properties that may be considered unsafe, unstable, and a hazard to emergency personnel and or the public. It should initially focus on streets and areas with the greatest number of unsafe buildings to ensure they're documented reinstate the code x-ray program or a similar program which includes marking system to warn members of dangerous buildings because clearly this building would have been identified in that as structurally unsound and therefore uh you know different a different tactic may be required unsafe buildings uh they want to try to get that into their cad previous fires, buildings that have had previous fires should be relayed to companies during their dispatch to the scene, which makes sense. I think
2: that's a bigger issue than not having the, the x-ray program of marking the building because you can put up signs and spray paint or whatever, but you can't guarantee that that sign's going to stay there and not get painted over and the whatever. Yeah. But there's, there's no reason why, like they have this kind of file in their CAD and this kind of file in their CAD and the two don't talk to each other. So the information from the fire three years ago doesn't show up now. When it's important information, i.e., hey, guys, the roof's compromised, this might
0: collapse. Yeah, and if I recall, this building was actually identified by the building inspectors as unsafe, unstable, but it didn't get communicated to the units. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Prioritize the mitigation of dilapidated buildings that pose a threat on the exterior or interior of collapse. Uh, Develop strategies for the prevention and remediation of vacant or abandoned structures and ensure that all uh, vacant uh, non-boarded up buildings identified by suppression units are properly secured. So those are all recommendations and, and you're right that's the bigger problem here. There's no policy in a in place to address emergency operations at or within a vacant building. I don't know. Do any of you guys have a policy for operations at vacant buildings? i no. I mean, you know, an SOG or
2: no. I mean I'm not sure vacant's the right word to be using anyways. It's un- unoccupied
0: it's Derelict.
2: But it's not unoccupied. That's my point is is there's there's people in there it's not the taxpayer that's in there, but somebody's in there. Yeah. Nobody that pays
3: taxes for the house or for the property, that's probably it. But I I don't think we have specific uh, SOPs or SOGs in dealing with uh, these. It's really up to us to drive through your neighborhood and your first do and, and check these buildings out and basically do a 360 before you actually go there. Because we know at least, at least here uh, if there's a vacant building or a, Boarded up building, it will burn at some point. It's just the matter of when, when
0: oh yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they recommend you know, uh, ensure vacant buildings, all members are identified, reported, and marked. Um, they should provide the fire communications with the corrected incident address during the initial briefing report. So, there was confusion over the address when they arrived. And that did not get passed back to, uh, back to dispatch as to which address was actually on fire, uh, which would have maybe helped getting more information if they had access to it. Uh, order, they uh, say, in order to allow the proper premise information to be viewed by, uh, by the operating units. Incident command technician, we've seen this one before. Uh, Battalion Chief 3 was uh, stated in his interviews that he was task saturated and unable to read the mobile data terminal for any additional comments while responding to the incident because he was driving. He also did not utilize a tactical worksheet or command board because he was just too busy. For a significant uh, period, he attempted to manage the suppression efforts, rescue operation, and maintain accountability without any assistance and exceeding the span of control, as recommended by ICS and various other recommendations and FPA, etc. During interviews, Battalion Chief Three reported feeling overwhelmed. He knew he was missing radio transmissions from people, and he had a difficult time organizing the incident. In fact, the captain that uh, was just before they went in couldn't get on the radio and couldn't get a hold of him, and he walked down to tell him that the insides look look bad and we should withdraw. And uh, that message didn't happen quick enough. The commander was just gonna key the mic to ask for an evacuation when the collapse occurred. A single command cannot effectively perform all the tasks associated with incident command management, especially initially uh formulating an action plan tracking initial incident progress and accountability of units were key factors that they identified there these tasks cannot be performed safely or efficiently without support or while driving this resulted in a degradation of firefighter safety by missing these things Uh, technology actually creates additional demand on the incident commander Monitoring information can remove focus uh, from continual safety assessments and often exceeds the abilities of even the most trained and experienced chief officers. As per the National Fire Academy, it's not practical or efficient to obtain a trained incident command technician uh, after the arrival on the incident scene. Unseen firefighters are untrained and, more importantly, inexperienced. Their involvement in such tasks, such as accountability while well-intentions, cannot always be trusted upon. The recommendations were provide a dedicated and assigned incident command technician to battalion chiefs. And FPA Standard 1710, State Supervisory Chief Officers shall have staff aides deployed to them for the purposes of incident management. Ensure that immediate resource in the form of a dedicated incident command technician is assigned to respond and arrive with the incident commander to initiate command support activities. We've seen this in many, many reports and it's been identified in many systems, uh, many departments after significant events like this is when they actually get, you know, the famous chief's aid, right? And what does the chief's aid do? And it's such a, uh, an expensive waste of resources in many administration's eyes. But when the rubber hits the road and you're in an incident like this, that aid is invaluable.
2: I'd be interested to know how many fire departments of size, whatever size you want to use, have chiefs' aides or or incident command technicians or whatever. Like
0: thinking of Canada off the top of my head, I I can think of one. I think Saskatoon had them, but I don't know uh, of others. I know Phoenix didn't have them back in the nineties or whatever. That's the whole blue card command thing. I think it was after the Brett Tarver incident that they, uh, they decided to add aids to their, uh, to their chiefs.
2: And then like, what do you, what, so what do you do as the fire chief when you want chiefs, aides and, and administration says, okay, you can have them, but now your ladders only have three people on them. If you have to pick one or the other for where that well, person goes, yeah. where you put
0: them? Which is why it's down here on paper after the incident, right? So that they can get that changed. Yes, Dirk?
3: Yeah, I think um, what Doug was saying, there's not that many aides here, but I think most departments sent more than one chief to a structure fire that should get there within a, a, a timely fashion. So now you have two chiefs that can run. Instant command together. Right. And as far as I remember this incident, there were lots of chiefs. They self assigned themselves, which didn't really help <laughs> that situation. That was mostly all,
0: later right? on. There was one that was fairly quick.
3: But initially I, I know FDMY sends two uh, battalion chiefs to, to every uh, confirmed structure fire. Right. So right there, now you have two chiefs. Is it nice to have a driver? Sure. Is it feasible for a lot of departments? Probably not. But sending more chief officers in there, why not? Or have officers, uh, company officers, and then assign them to a part of the instant command system. Of course, then you take away a crew. So since you
2: brought up FDNY, now I can talk about it without me being the one bringing it up. <laughs> but they—they're so big, right? That they have thirty battalion chiefs working whatever the number is, right? They have 10 division chiefs working. Like Baltimore here has five or six battalion chiefs. You can't dump like 30% of them on one incident because then the other incident, that's where the, the struggle becomes. Like maybe they need more chiefs. And I was thinking about New York, like you brought them up, but when you watch their the buff videos on YouTube at the fires, their command post has five chiefs standing around and all their aides. And like one guy's running the command board and one guy's listening to the radio and giving progress reports. And it allows the chief that is the actual incident commander to just be the incident commander, stand there, watch the building, direct what he wants happening. And other people are worrying about other things, giving him input there for him to ask whatever, but it prevents him from like this guy said, being task saturated. He can only—he just has to worry about what he sees in front of him when he looks out, right? The the board and the tablet and all the other stuff other people are looking at, and we'll talk to him when something pertinent comes yeah, up.
0: Phoenix and many other many other big command uh, focused or centric departments that do it well. Uh, you will see a command post, and you will see several officers doing all these tasks to allow. Because remember, the incident commander. Their job is the safety of the people inside the IDLH atmosphere. Everything else is secondary. They are, we say in ICS training, that's the big P problem is the fire and the people in it. Everybody else is little P, you know, making sure they have what they need to do their job. So you're, you're absolutely right.
1: I think there is something to be said just after taking that, that command course that we're talking about. Um, there is something to be said about, you know, just command being in its own area and just having, you know, all the aids and all that, that for lack of a better term, I guess, safe safe place that so they can be, you know, in a, in a more or less controlled environment and they can make those decisions without the added stress of, of whatever's going on, you know, in that area. So those, those extra personnel just watching the videos of those guys just working in that environment, it looks like it's just a super productive uh, way of doing things.
0: Yeah, I don't know if anybody's ever watched, I used to watch them before we started doing blue card training, was the uh, inside the command post. And it's uh, Sacramento or somewhere, uh, command chief doing command. And there's 25 of them. And he does uh, absolutely, for a while I thought it was scripted, but it's not. The guy is an absolute awesome commander, but he's locked in his Suburban or whatever SUV doing command. And, and uh and that you know it's good it leads right into the next recommendation because we're going to go forever at the rate we're going uh incident command system was not utilized in the to its full potential leading to confusion regarding priorities objectives and leadership responsibilities the incident commanders failed to provide assignments to arriving chiefs arriving in self-assignment and that's was if you anybody arrives and you don't give them something to do, they're going to do something on their own. They're, they're there. they got the big red truck and the uniform and the helmet. They're going to self-assign freelance. This self-assignment led to inefficient gathering of resources without knowledge of the command. Yeah, this contributed to confusion, freelancing, compounded lack of accountability. Recommendations. Command system is a component of national incident management system and should be utilized to expand the organizational structure of incidents based on size and complexity, as well as the operating environment. Incident commanders are trained and familiar, ensure that they're trained and familiar with ICS and its use. Periodic refresher training should be provided to the chief officers. And that's the big thing that we try to teach during the ICS training is for every other resource you add to take care of that big P problems, You have to have management or support personnel to make sure that they're organized and they get what they need and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. You have to build that support management structure on the outside to to manage it efficiently, which is why they created ICS in the first place. Uh, Routine ICS should be expanded to ensure functional responsibilities are delegated and addressed in line with the objectives of the incident action plan. Uh, ICS should be used on minor incidents to create familiarity and normalize its use and ensure a manageable span of control can be maintained by expanding the ICS system with branches, divisions, or groups. Uh, This is the interesting one that I found was response profile. They should reconfigure and add a response profile to their their system, that uh, policy to recall, to call in an incident management team. So the fire department should have its own incident management team that it can call in when they have a big event like that, kind of like what you guys talked about with the FDNY. Uh, And I spend a lot of time teaching incident management teams. I'm on a few. Alberta has set up these regional incident management teams not for your big fire but for a big incident that a city may have to struggle to to deal with getting enough people to uh, to deal with it so i thought that was interesting the waldo canyon fire that happened down in colorado spring where they saved 70 percent of the houses that were affected by the wildland fire part of the success was determined to be because they had recently formed an incident management team and they were able to get them deployed within the first three hours and save the community so it helps
2: New York has an incident management team now after nine eleven, because they didn't have one before 9-11. And I've heard guys talk to all these people from California with yellow shirts and green pants yeah. showed up and were running the show and they all went like, who the hell are these people? And then when they figured out, oh, they have a point, they're doing something important, New York made their own incident management team and has been deployed all around the U.S. to help with big yeah, events. Yeah, they're
0: doing ICS, exactly, which, you know, that's, that's, what, that's why, because it's efficient. But no, you're absolutely right. So uh, findings the, uh, are based on the Incident Command and Incident Action Plan and the Risk Assessment. The initial operational risk assessment me missed key components that may have skewed the risk-benefit anal- analysis affecting the Incident Action Plan, the structural damage for, and deterioration from previous fires, the building's extended time being vacant, and the exposure to the elements Additionally, it's unclear if members considered a survivability profile of the reported trapped occupants, which would have been low with fire on all four floors or three floors, but still they could be tucked away somewhere, like you said, Uh, but they missed all these things. Uh, Recommendations. Incident command should evaluate operational risks with respect to the purpose and potential results of their actions and incorporate this into their incident action plan. Perform a risk assessment. Significant attention must be given to the survivability profile of of trapped occupants, but also structural integrity and exclusion zones. All officers and those members that are acting as an officer should be provided with ongoing training on critical thinking and decision-making, risk assessment, and building construction with an emphasis on local features, the type of risks you face in your community all construction off all chief officers including the command staff should receive specific training to their duties uh and response strategy and incident decision making using simulations so you know whoever that happens to be uh whatever program that you know use simulations that's how we train military personnel why don't we do that with uh with firefighters Incident command post, stationary expandable incident command post was not established. Several senior officers, including the incident commander and the operations section chief, operated in and around the hot zone, including the collapse zone. Incident commander must establish and maintain an incident command post outside of the structure to assign companies, etc. The command post should be in the cold zone and should be placed to establish a presence and provide, provide visibility as per NFPA 1561 incident command uh incident commander should have the ability to monitor three radios at the fixed command post as per 1561. following existing procedures by establishing and identifying fixed command post location as per their own policy so they didn't follow their policy there they actually called the incident command post but didn't didn't move to it incident commander his or her designee should always be present at the command post mobile command board should be provided to battalion chiefs and car 5 Training should be provided to utilize mobile command boards and or the new tactical like tablet command and stuff or other good tools that can be used. We were starting to experiment with them in, uh, in Clearwater, As uh, Dirk.
3: Yeah, I find, I find it, uh, kind of amusing that the instant commander should have the ability to monitor three radios. Cause I think I mentioned this in part one and, uh, I'm not sure which one of you guys, but kind of bashing me. is like, that yeah, that's impossible. You can't listen to three radios at the same time. Now they want them to listen to three radios and operate a uh, no, laptop or whatever. So uh, I know some chiefs that have a tough time operating <laughs> one radio. <so> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not sure where that it's a commend university is that teaches you multitasking like that. I, I, I think in that sense, if I have to monitor three radios, I need at least an aid. Yeah, you definitely definitely need
0: an uh, I used like, to run two radios quite often, but yeah, three, I don't know. That'd be tough. And yeah, you're gonna miss something. That's where the aid comes in. Absolutely. Good good point. Or you just
1: properly sector things off as well, right? So that way you will yeah. have
0: four yep. people ever reporting to you on one channel. Exactly. So yep. <laughs> which is ICS, sector things off. Now remember, remember for ICS SAC divisions, groups, or, or, uh, or branches, no sectors. Uh, anyway, uh, just teasing. <laughs> yeah. Establish unified command when incident complexity indicates the need to interact with multi-agency because they didn't establish unified command. They had all kinds of agencies there reporting with them, uh, lack of unified command, Partners, individuals from partner agencies were attempting to lead specific rescue and recovery operations and provide direction of technical nature with unknown credentials. So establish command with multi-agency or jurisdictional units. Ensure that a senior member of cooperating agencies report to the command post and fully understands the IAP. Ensure operational boundaries are communicated to assisting agencies. Opportunities for command personnel from partnering agencies need to meet and train before the IG incident for better organization on actual incidents. This was a problem in the Elliott LA Lake Mall fire. This was a problem in many, many instances. This was a problem in New York City during 9-11, uh, where they had multiple agencies not working unified command and actually, you know, sort of fighting against each other in, in, in what they were doing operationally, not having op- uh, objectives and IEP that everybody agrees on. Communications, they did not use talk groups on the radios to relieve congestion. That uh there were nine radio transmissions at 0608 hours, five subscriber rejects in one minute on fire ground one because everybody was on fire ground one. Follow existing procedures, they already had procedures to assign incident operations to different talk groups. Establish policies that the fire uh, communications bureau monitoring important traffic, such as PARS, verifying that the correct units are answering versus the identifiers that come up on their, on their screens, right? Provide chief officers with additional radios so they can monitor talk groups in compliance with 1561. Command post includes radio capability to monitor and communicate with assigned uh, talk groups. Mayday, Chief, it was determined that the initial interior rescue operation on Division I was unorganized. The lack of command designated supervisor assigned to the interior created confusion over the operational rescue plan. plan. The absence of strong interior command presence led to a lack of accountability and increased risk uh, taking uh, during this highly emotional and dangerous rescue operation. Orders to reduce manpower or calls to evacuate were ignored, which contributed to reduced member safety. Interior division access was at times unregulated at both side Alpha and Charlie, uncontrolled flow of member both in and out of the structure, which further degraded accountability. If they would have had another emergency during the emergency, it would have been not good.
2: It's pretty tough to limit the amount of people in there when you're actively digging
0: out down firefighters, There was no control. There was no one managing it. That's the problem. I know.
2: I'm just saying, like, in I can really picture in the real world, like, the crew shows up, and, okay, we're here to help dig, and some chief's saying, no, there's only 10 people allowed in there. I mean, <laughs> I can imagine what that crew's going to say to that chief. Wooster was different. Wooster, they were not actively rescuing people. No,
3: but they were actively trying to get their brothers out. So,
0: yeah. And the chief stood in front of the door and said, No, you have to do that. Is that they weren't actively rescuing people, they were looking for people and
2: they kept getting lost themselves. That's different than, like, there's a guy right there that we're digging out. It's a lot
0: different because it's a hazardous environment. We already had a collapse, we still have active fire. The chief's responsibility is to ensure that he has control, he has accountability, and further people that don't need to be in there aren't in there. That's the chief's job,
2: instill calmness. Find who needs to be in there when you're digging through sand with hands to rescue downed firefighters. You still have to have That's my point. Okay, I'm not saying you don't have accountability. I'm saying good luck trying to prevent firefighters from rescuing firefighters.
1: Yes, it will be hard. Emotions get into
3: it. It has something to do with discipline. You have to have to discipline everybody. And you have to establish a command presence, which means there has to be multiple people in charge that keep everybody else away. And yeah, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be super hard. But but if the
0: department is used to that, then they know that's how it's going to go. But
3: who's used to having ladies and digging for their own brothers? Like, thank goodness
1: nobody He's does that,
3: right? highly
0: ICS-commanded.
1: Yeah, I, I still think, though, you add emotion into it. Oh, yeah. Like, like like happened here. It doesn't, like, I don't know, I shouldn't say it doesn't matter, but you add that in, the, it's going to be hard to, to harness that in. Even for the guy that's in command, like you got to, I know command's supposed to be this calming presence, but when you have how many guys go down, it's going to be very hard to stay in that mindset.
0: Yep. I mean, it's going to be tough. Absolutely. Which why you want training and simulations and you want to control the span of manager span of control so that your commanders don't feel overwhelmed, right? And the guys feel like they're being used productively. Mayday procedures was another recommendation. Uh, the uh, they talked about uh, modified to include assigning battalion chief to interior division to manage better manage any writ or mayday operation, streamline communications, and ensure accountability when multiple units are involved in rescue operations, which, which is what they had. Supervisors assigned to specific geographical areas shall be located in areas that will allow each supervisor to maintain accountability of uh, assigned resources. Yep, Dirk.
3: See, I was thinking about this, and I I know uh, in in the FDNY, I, I think that's the only department where I've seen actually chiefs being on the interior, having the presence on the inside of a structure. I've never seen this anywhere else. Usually your chiefs are outside and then yeah they have the sector, but it's basically defined by by their by their radio in their hand, but not being actively inside a structure. That that I mean, I mean that that's a yeah, recommendation, cool, right? That,
0: that's that's blue card. That's ICS is the the sector or division or group commander needs to be in the area where his team is working and communicating with command via the radio. And he's the only person that's on the radio with command. That's how it's supposed to work. And they should have an SCBA on, they should be in the same PPE that the people are on in, and they should be, if possible, within visual or close walk distance to those people. That's how it should be done. So they have to have steel toe boots? Absolutely. Full turnout gear. Dirk's
2: point is that in a lot of fire departments, the sector leader is the captain of the crew doing the task. It's not four crews going through the task supervised by a chief. It's you go do that, you go do that, you two captains report back to me. And that's that's the difference. He's
0: and that's about. why they need ICS training because that's not. At some point early in the game, you put a chief officer or an officer in charge of that captain and the other three captains to do that job. That's how you maintain accountability in My point,
2: Paul, is there's not three captains doing it. There's one. You don't need a captain to talk to a chief to talk to the chief. The guy in the middle is useless. That's Dirk's point. Yes, New York City puts a chief in there because they put 17 crews in there also. So they need chiefs to supervise them. I don't disagree that as an event builds and there's multiple companies doing jobs, yes, they need a chief to report to, to report back to command. But when this fire had like two crews in there, you don't need a chief in there too. And then it talks here about geographic sectoring of the building. This was a very small building. Like, you want to geographically separate that Rick operation. The two chiefs in charge of this no, side they and had, that side could they have had touched people each in other.
0: the Bravo, and they had people going in the Charlie, and they had people going in the Alpha. That's three right there. And they had multiple units going into each of those. So that's where you needed three chiefs or three, whatever you want to call them, uh, branch division supervisors to run those divisions.
3: I also think, Doug, that the recommendations is not just specific to this event sure you i also think sure. of other things right and i mean you're right at the beginning there was not many crews there was one chief and it was chaos so now imagine it's something bigger it will be more chaos so the emphasis here is definitely in, in more officer training and then chief training or chief officer training yep. whatever
0: you want and to call that's it. the recommendation ensure ranking officers are fully trained in the provisions of ics and superior officers Big
2: departments train their people in ICS. Lots of all these big departments train their people in the incident command you structure. You got to do it.
0: You got to do it over and over. You have to do simulations to make sure the people don't lose. It's a perishable skill, command.
2: You're never going to ever simulate this event to the point you of simulate. doing it. If
0: you do the same procedures all the time, then it's adaptable to every event that happens. Yes, this is going to be the worst ever event, you know, barring a terrorist attack or something like that. But if you do it this way all the time, then the chances are the guys will do it well because they've trained on it. What the recommendations are saying is that they're not training on it enough. They're not doing refresher training. They're not using simulations to make it work uh, when it's a bad day. The whole point of Phoenix's command system, or the blue card command system, or whatever New York uses and other cities use. That's the whole point. Practice makes perfect if you do it every day. When superior officers assume an advisory role, they must resist the urge to give orders and make radio transmissions that we've been misinterpreted by those on scene as coming from command because they had other people talking on the radio, right? Provide training related to situational awareness. Critical thinking and in the incident management system, tailored specifically for ch- staff chiefs. Incident commanders failed to recognize the need for trained collapse technicians, exceeding those that were on scene during the rescue effort. Right away, that should have been recognized and called for. Interviews found that on scene commanders neglected to call in off duty collapse technicians. This need could have been satisfied by requesting mutual aid early in the incident. Failure to recognize the needs, reduce options for building stabilization and limited the operational depth as no relief could be provided for the on-scene collapse technicians. Recognize the need for specialized disciplines was the recommendation and the possibility of limited resources available internally. So rely on your mutual aid partners is basically what they're saying. Uh, Request specialized resources to, to the incident to allow for operational depth and relief relief of initial responders. Recognize a need for specialized assets during low frequency events, such as a building collapse. Provide the incident commander with a designee from Special Operations Command to assist in an advisory role. So embed them right in there with command as a special advisor from uh, Special Operations. Commanders and regular training sh- conducted with mutual aid partners. You gotta work with your mutual aid partners if you're gonna do it during an emergency. If you want it to work well, you have to do it in training. Commanders with regularly updated information on available departmental and regional assets. This is something I was trying to work on in Fort Saskatchewan is educating my officers on of what the regional assets were and what was available to them so that they knew that. that. And we did the ICS training typically in groups with mutual aid partners. So they got to know each other, you know, over lunch and during a training course. They talked about safety officer operations attempted to designate a collapse zone, but the orders were not followed or enforced. So there was a high potential for another emergency here that could have happened. Uh, fortunately, the building stayed stable and they didn't have a secondary, a significant secondary collapse. There was lots of little ones, bricks falling off and stuff because the collapse zone was ignored, which is often a problem, especially in a highly emotionally charged event such as this one. All safety officers should be trained to the site operations level of all uh, special operations command disciplines. So all safety officers should be trained in special operations. RIT team, especially those assigned with the single engine firehouse, reported being unfamiliar with the RIT equipment because it's not available to them. They only had RIT packs on trucks. Currently, only trucks and rescue one had writ bags. Provide each suppression unit with their own writ bag. Program should support writ training, uh, addressing the, this also at the command level. So, not just writ training for the firefighters and the captains that are doing it, but also how to command a writ so that they had that simulation training behind them. I know uh, Phoenix did a huge uh, RIT training. They came out with that article, RIT is not rapid or something, about 15 years ago. And they did all kinds of training. They had a big old warehouse that they bought or rented. And they sent all the companies in to do RIT training. And they put the commanders in the command posts to command them. And they actually found that half of the firefighters that went in for RIT got Maydays themselves during the RIT. So that was great. It's good command training, right? Uh, Finding: second intervention team was not immediately assigned after the activation of the first. Ensure that secondary RIT is assigned if the rapid intervention group after the first RIT is deployed. Deploy additional intervention teams or function based on the complexity, magnitude, configuration of the structure or geographical layout of the incident. They talked about how uh, fire uh, communications automatically upgrade an incident to the next greater alarm if a mayday has been declared in order to you know properly resource the writ operations. Update the command board to include resources that may be required when members in distress are also involved in specialized circumstances such as a collapse. Consider assigning a battalion chief to the interior division to assist in managing RIT, as well as streamline communication when multiple units are involved in RIT operations that are intense, require command control and discipline by all those involved. So just like we were talking about, is you need a commander in that space to manage all those units and to keep command updated and to ask for more resources. That's what the, the Sector Division or Group Supervisor is, the advocate for his staff, his team. Consider defining an appropriate level of span control for a member in distress, i.e. two units, eight firefighters to one member in distress. So try to come up with a formula. Consider assigning paramedics to RIT so that people in serious medical emergencies can be treated in place. Create and identify a formal RIT staging area in the event of a complex incident such as a major collapse involving a large geographic area. I mean these big collapses are happening we get parkades or shopping malls or stuff like that this is not totally foreign to the north american fire service here or worldwide fire service assign a unit to logistics in writ to gather the necessary equipment as well as track what is being used damaged or requires replacement we used to do that on the fire department I was at, at major MVCs, we always put somebody in charge of logistics for the rescue operation and put all the stuff on a tarp. And one person, if we had the people, would be in charge of that. I don't know if that's still happening. It was, yeah, yeah. I need more batteries. Like I need more blades. I need more whatever.
1: Engineer's job, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. You betcha. Um, that's ICS, logistics. That's one of the you know, four pillars of ICS. Create and for- identify formal writ staging area. We talked about that, sorry, missed that one. Oh, the aerial. During interviews, members express concern regarding the ladder working at angle and extension as well as ladder tip load rating when they used it as a high directional. They just say, you know, consider defining this as a oper- special operations skill. Train on it, make sure they know what they're doing. Familiarity with ladder specifications and technical rope knowledge. Uh, consider calling tower one that would require any high directional to be deployed. They they didn't, didn't they called it special like hey let's get the air let's get the tower down here because it they use a ladder but the tower has a higher payload so I thought what you know they should should have called the tower instead which yeah makes a good idea towers usually have uh, fittings and everything on the bottom of them just for that purpose with the rating right on it consider calling tower one early on in incidents review specifications to make sure you're doing it right and develop a procedure in the training manual i know calgary has a procedure for using uh, an aerial as a high anchor i don't know what other if other departments do but that's something that uh, have a procedure test it out equipment compatibility with different types of battery operated tool was a problem they found that the search camera was unavailable that it was available was not properly maintained and didn't work it wasn't ready Uh, Expand the cache of battery operated tools and batteries. Assess and update the search camera and equipment to include a regular replacement plan because they found that it was old and didn't work anymore. That was recommendation. Focus should be on special operations command to ensure meeting current and future needs, especially in an urban setting that has an increased likelihood of utilizing special operations command resources, such as a building collapse. Consider mutual aid for additional resources when deemed necessary. Work with your local partners, right? Um, we saw that during the, the fire in New York City with Special Operations Command. They had the rest within the building collapsed. the hardware store. Members were not fully aware of the radio system's capabilities. Strict enforcement of radio systems You know, we're wearing assigned portable radios by unit and chief officers. So they had lots of members that didn't wear their portable radios and therefore that caused issues. Educate members on the understanding of the capabilities of the portable radios, including the emergency button. Supplied air connections. It came up that they were unable to utilize the supplied air uh, from the AirFlex unit due to lack of knowledge and non-compatible airline connections. And we said during the first part, like, how can that happen? Right. But it does. Ensure the correct conditions are provided to both air flex unit and ensure RIT training covers the use of long airlines. If you can't get your guy out for whatever reason, yeah, I mean, that should be trained on. Um, I know we had lots of problems with that with ladder trucks and airline connections in the baskets and stuff, making sure you have the right right connections. And unless you try it, you don't know. Um, Difficulty with member was trapped due to visibility and the physical position of trapped members. The, uh, the SCBAs, they didn't know who it was. They didn't know who was trapped. They couldn't tell. So some sort of better identification system for their SCBAs. Most of the SCBA brands have a system on board that you can log in when you get on your truck in the beginning of your shift and it shows that it's, hey, it's Paul's SCBA. And then they know that it's Paul's SCBA that's alarming or out of air or whatever. So you can identify people. Also, the identifiers, that was a program I implemented in several departments was the name or the unit number of the SCBA on the chest strap and on the back on the, on the cylinder strap so that from the front or the rear, you could tell what unit that person belonged to. I think that's, I mean, it's, it's fairly inexpensive and uh, it's yeah. a great tool both for the commander outside to tell who's doing what, but also if someone's trapped, if you can see their SCBA right away, you can identify them. It's a simple yeah. and in a, in a, inexpensive fix to a problem. Uh, talked about a personnel accountability report wasn't completed for 41 minutes, and not all members were accounted for. The recommendation for that, uh, they didn't—they weren't using their accountability tags. I guess they weren't tagging onto the truck when they got there and giving the tags to the commander, which you know many—I know British Columbia is super strict about uh, accountability tags and them going to the uh, incident commander so that you have them right in front of you. All the names of all the people or units. Ensure all personnel are accounted for prior to completing for their PARs. You don't call PAR for your unit if all your guys aren't in front of you, which is what happened is they had units calling PAR when they didn't know where people were. Pursue new technology to locate lost firefighters. That's been coming around forever. and I don't know if we'll ever see it create a policy of addressing off-duty members writing or responding to emergency incidents just so they're accountable. Not that they don't want them there, but you know we need to know because they had two people that they didn't know were on the call. Uh, Fire Communications Bureau did not notify Incident Command that they were 20 minutes into the incident. Uh, according to their own policy, they're supposed to be told every 20 minutes. Many places have the timer thing, which is a great idea. And I, I encourage that.
3: It's usually 10, 10 minutes. Ten minutes is us, right, usual.
0: Apparently, they had twenty, and it didn't happen. So
3: seems like a long time for me. 20, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it seems
0: yeah. long, but I uh, like the ten. Yeah, and you can always tell them to stop. You know, no timers required at a certain point or something. Uh, so written procedures for dispatch procedures that uh, dispatches the closest appropriate units. Apparently, not the closest units always went. Consider develop formalized training uh, for including ride-alongs for dispatchers. Absolutely, train them. Uh, put them in that command post when you're doing the, the RIT simulations or whatever, so they know what it's like. And what's what's what they're you know participating with. It gets engagement, I think, as well.
3: Yeah, we've been doing this. We've been doing this with our special special operations uh, when we do our uh, quarterly training. Uh, if staffing allows then uh, we, we'll always have a dispatcher awesome. with us and that really helps especially for special operations that usually take a long time and uh, yeah that that was always a good experience for for both for the team technical rescue team and and it for just expands the dispatchers.
0: their knowledge and they, they understand more what's going on when they hear it on the radio right yeah excellent. Uh, consider increased staffing in dispatch and consider adopting the EMS MDO model and have a representative from suppression working in dispatch, uh, like like, the medic, like medical dispatchers have, often they have medical training. Same thing, have firefighters uh, that understand what's going on to assist dispatchers with decision-making and enact an advisory role for complex incidents. You know that's a good light duty job if you if you need to find them, right? Put a put a firefighter in there and have them uh, work with the dispatchers. Uh, once initiated, the PAR was interrupted by unnecessary radio traffic. So again, that's you know how they their policies on how they manage that. Uh, during a PAR, dispatch personnel can easily identify via CAD if unseen units have been skipped, misidentified, or have not answered. So give them a checkoff sheet and direction to prompt the incident commander when something doesn't look right. Uh, Fireground talk groups, there was 185 subscriber rejects from 6 to 7 a.m. The entire incident remained on a single talk group. Currently, Battalion Chief does not have the proper complement of radios available in their possession to monitor all three channels in the fireground talk group. Recommendation, they should have more radios uh, accessible to them. Uh, Where I was uh, Deputy Chief, uh, I had uh, two radios in the truck and a portable that could be on another channel. Plus, a fire forestry radio. So, you know, you had the the tools. They need the tools to do their job. That is their job. Um, Staffing considered this is interesting. Uh, Consider staffing level, even though, in our opinion, Baltimore is staffed to meet 1710. uh, 1710 does say. In first due response zones where tactical hazards, high hazard occupancies, dense urban areas, uh, these fire companies should be staffed with a minimum of five or six personnel instead of four. Same for trucks and engines.
3: Yeah, that's where it says it's 1710, right? When you when you look at it, like the average would be four per personnel, but if you have the more dense it is, and then let's say downtown area, lots of high rises, High density. Then they talk about five or six on on the rate. We
0: started the podcast on part one. We said, "Oh, good! Look, they got four or five guys in every truck." Woohoo! Well, technically, according to seventeen ten, their staffing was potentially minimal for their geographic area. As per the U.S. Census data, the Baltimore City population is five hundred eighty-five thousand, with seven hundred persons per square seven thousand four hundred persons per square mile. This is a dense urban area, and it should have higher staffing.
2: I would I would disagree that this is a – for for a North American city, a three-story walk-up row house frame construction is not a very dense area. If you're going to call that dense enough to need a five-person truck, then every city, every engine should have five
0: people on it. Uh, yeah, I know Calgary was putting five-seat trucks downtown in the city for years. Yeah, okay,
2: but then they put two on the other truck. Like good for Calgary. They still don't have yes. enough people there.
0: The numbers don't lie. Seven thousand persons per, per square mile. And and this isn't downtown Paul. Downtown is
2: high rises with thousands of people. This isn't super dense populated area.
3: Doug, I think they're just talking about in general, what well, way they would need for the city of Baltimore, not just for that call for that row house fire. That at least that's, that's how it says I see it. right it.
0: there. It's not highlighted. 1710, dense urban area, incorporated, unincorporated area with a population of over 200,000 and or a population density of over 3,000 people per square mile. And they had 7,400 people per square mile. It's dense. Whether it's row houses, high rises, uh, refugee camps, I don't care what they're living in. It's dense, and and row houses, three-story walk-up row houses, twenty some to each side of a block. That's pretty dense.
2: But, but Paul, you're 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 going by what the census says the whole city has. There could be parts of Baltimore that have ten thousand people per square mile, and parts of Baltimore that have a thousand people per square mile. The companies that responded to this incident might not have been in a what MFPA considers high dense area. I don't know what this neighborhood's density is. My point is a three-story walk up with row frame housing in East Coast United States in down, like in Edmonton or Calgary, Toronto or Vancouver is not a dense area. Sure, downtown with forty-story high-rise condos that have a thousand people in a one building is a dense area. That you should use this argument that you need another guy on the truck. I don't think this incident was an overly dense area.
3: No, and that's what I'm saying. This ends not, but they are thinking about broader what caused this incident. So let's think about it, but. Because for this incident, you want more people inside the structure. If I have a six, six or seven man engine crew, and now I have five or six guys inside the the collapse zone, that wouldn't have helped you at all. I I don't think for this incident, Doug, that the more manpower or staffing would have helped. But in general, they figure they need more staffing, anyway, which I think the is committee great.
0: Recommended following seventeen ten, and the report points out that they didn't. Mm-hmm. So, um, special operations command, chief of special operations did not arrive on scene for an hour after the collapse. The timely presence of a chief officer from special operations command would have assisted command with the uh, formulating of a coordinated rescue plan and the uh, special operations members who were operating on the incident were unaware of a technical safety officer. The recommendations were to have a special operations battalion chief on duty at all times a structural collapse incident with a technical safety officer should be designated on all special ops incidents during interviews special ops indicated there was a lack of proper staffing training and resources it was discovered that the members of uh members of the special operations units are not trained in all disciplines and that regular competency verification does not occur and that's that whole competency versus certification thing right uh, consider an increase of the annual special operations budget pursue an expansion of grant opportunities to support all aspects of special ops provide each member special ops command the opportunity to be trained and certified in all disciplines annual refresher courses and special ops personnel should be trained to considered specified technical level A technician basically all safety officers should also participate in regularly scheduled special ops training several indicators related to building construction uh, they want training building construction because several indicators related to building construction could have been used during the initial size up to alert members of the hazards we talked about this before there was existing cornice damage there was burnt exposed burning floor joists and multiple burning floors. All members, especially commanders, are trained to understand the collapse hazards of the various types of building constructions found in the city, especially, uh, you know, influence inherent building performance, unique row house variations, spectral collapse and defensive operations with dilapidated previous fire conditions are encountered. Battalion trainings, the department needs to do more operations-related training. The battalion training uh, is only scheduled for Sundays. Therefore, under the current schedule, shifts may go weeks with any formal battalion-level training. Revise the daily activities to reflect the 24-hour shift model and ensure battalion training is being performed more frequently provide formalized training materials to ensure the content is consistent and accurate across the department. Thermal imager training, they did use a thermal imager, which was awesome uh, by truck 10. Uh, Expand the fire academy's training related to thermal imaging, consider thermal imaging training as an annual topic. Professional development findings, chief officers receive minimal training and development following promotions. Chief Officers report that they have not received formal training pertaining to the Chief Officer position. Consider mandatory training for all Chief Officers. Consider the creation of Command Competency Program. Uh, Maintain knowledge, skills, and competencies for emergency response members of every rank. Uh, Professional development topics should include ICS refresher training, risk versus benefit assessment, updated fire ground strategy and tactics, and simulation training, such as, you know, I think they talk about a different one here, Sims, you share, blue card, Dirk's going, he's drinking the Kool-Aid. Well, it works. What can I say? Um, They did not feel, uh, findings. Firefighters interviewed said they did not feel comfortable speaking up and sharing their knowledge or expertise with senior members and officers to include safety or accountability issues. Recommendations: Foster a culture that allows members to speak up about personal and organizational safety without negative consequences for doing so. Train members at every rank to report interior, exterior, or dangerous conditions to the incident commander as soon as possible on a regular basis. Regarding culture, they recommend to define an, an advocate and advocate for cultural change within the department related to safety while maintaining an aggressive approach to incident mitigation. Incorporate leadership management, supervision, accountability, and personal responsibility into the push for cultural change. So the report goes into quite a bit of detail here uh, on this uh, since the, the you know, but that was a big thing was changing the culture. So since the incident, uh, the day of the report came out or after the chief resigned, since the incident, with the assistance of the immediate recommendations provided by the investigation, the department started creating policies, revising procedures, and adding equipment, introducing new training and personnel support. Just prior to the incident, they'd actually changed their dispatch procedure, which only alerted units with a single dispatch message. Shortly after the incident, they went back on this based on the feedback from this inquiry and the officer development program, they reinstituted the original dispatch procedure of alerting units twice on all responses. So I don't know if somebody didn't get the call or something, I'm not sure where this came from. But anyway, that was an immediate thing that they instituted. Department requested the Bureau of Investigation to draft a policy regarding operational procedures in vacant buildings. This is to provide a guideline to firefighting personnel for improved size up and decision making when faced with a fire in a vacant structure. So these are immediate actions they took within a few weeks of the incident, which is good. Um, The uh, accountability engine, accountability unit, which is a new policy aimed at providing the incident commander with increased operational support. So this is how they're trying to get a command technician is we're gonna split the crew of this additional engine reporting to the incident command and the second to go to the charlie division the rear uh as as extra eyes and ears i guess it's the board of inquiry's opinion that while well intentioned the sixth engine policy does not address the root problems associated with incident command and accountability on the fire ground the bureau of investigation agrees with the research performed at the national fire academy that supports the fact that it's not practical or efficient to obtain a trained incident command technician after arrival at the incident scene on scene firefighters are untrained or inexperienced their involvement in tasks such as accountability while well intentioned cannot be trusted simulations including a six engine for accountability performed at the baltimore county fire district the Baltimore City Fire District Academy since Stricker Street have further supported this research. So just grabbing some guys from an engine they say is not acceptable. They need command technicians. And I don't disagree with them that that's something that they need to have. Getting it done is.
2: I'd also be, I'd be a little like, how long does it take your sixth engine to get there to start doing your accountability? Like, you know, in my Part of my city, the sixth engine is like a decent right, exactly. Yeah,
0: good point. So, and then they proved that in simulations that it that didn't work. So,
3: there has been, I mean, the president has been set years and years ago, like 20, 20 years ago, where every, every uh, rig does their own accountability. If I send somebody in, the guys that go interior, they leave the tag with the pump operator and then you assign an accountability officer, chief, whatever, and all you have to do is go to the rigs and collect the tags, and then you have them, you know who's in. That's been it it's 20 done years done, old. Since it's since
0: just we, we had little tags. We, when the first department I was on, we had uh, ear tags from cows that they rode on with yeah. a felt pen. And
3: the yeah. puppets go away from it because nothing yeah. happened. Right. Oh, we didn't need it in the last 20 years till you need it. Right, and, and that the, I think that's the problem. We, we've had things in place, but because nothing ever happened, either because of budget or laziness or uh, whatever you want to call it, um, there's just we don't do it anymore. Right. So I, I, I think every once in a while, the department just has to step back and reevaluate what are we doing, and then using maybe our podcast to to come up with with uh, recommendations. And it's always a safety. I mean, it's to make our work safer and to be able to help people in a safe manner. That's why we're doing this. And yeah, we have to go back sometimes. You know, go back yeah. to the old days. Some stuff, stuff works.
0: It's simple, right? It's, yeah,
3: it's simple. Yeah.
0: They talked uh, beginning in February of 22, so a month after the the events, Special Operations entered a transitional leadership that reformed previous doctrines, so somebody changed, different leader. The newly assigned chief of Special Ops focused the organizational structure, staffing, training, response parameters, profiles, and logistics, as well as research and development. SOC members have been granted permission to network directly with Department of Housing and procured several vacant homes in the pursuit of collapse training. 20 SOC members are slated to attend Virginia Beach Task Force 2 FEMA Structural Collapse Technician Course and the Advanced Interior Structural Collapse uh, Simulation Lab located at TX, Texas A&M, which Disaster City, which is that's absolutely that's what they should be doing. Calgary has a bit of a collapse uh, scenario thing down there. Uh, Dirk, I don't know if you've ever been there to Calgary's collapse uh, mini mini disaster city?
3: No, we, we were never invited.
0: Can that way. If you want your team Doug, to go.
3: Dougie told us about the if you, TAX. you and
0: your team so that... want to go to the Can TF2, just let me know. I'll, I can make it happen. I'm, I'm close with them now. I taught them safety officer course last week.
3: I, I don't think it, it lacks no, on that end. No. It's 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 the other end where but but Doug Doug told us about uh, T X X right. Uh our, He just showed some Texas uh, podcast. Yeah. That was pretty. Yeah, that it's a Disneyland. That's for she sure.
0: Both Teaks. Teaks. Braden Field. Uh, Chief of SOC prioritized the updating of search cameras, purchasing stabilization alerting devices such as transit and fostering mutual aid partnership. That's where the buck stops. Mutual aid partnerships and the implementation of Tower 1 into the uh, Special Operations Command program, which is awesome. Uh, The department has reemphasized the use of PAT tags, personal accountability tags. There you go. Existing accountability system with newly issued handheld accountability board uh collecting tags from each piece of apparatus on the fire ground place them on the board we've done that ever since I started as a firefighter way back in wherever 1986. the re-emphasis on personal accountability tags as a backup to the electronic sign-in program was provided to the department by the Bureau of Investigation as an immediate recommendation uh, and it's uh, they've directed all members to comply with this policy It is the opinion of the Bureau of Investigation that a greater emphasis should be placed on the utilization of accountability technology that the department already owns, but has not implemented. Rapid Intervention Task Force, So they're making a rapid intervention task force which consists of four engine two trucks rescue one or squad a battalion chief of suppression ems and one advanced life support transport unit additionally they're making a policy that these will be uh in addition to the original assigned rapid intervention team so automatically dispatches if there's a mayday mayday policy was revised uh add additional procedures for members in distress action by the incident commander and communications bureau all firefighting positions have been assigned another pass device separate from their scba uh saskatchewan was doing this for wildland fires uh when they when the scbas got integrated with pass alarms they really missed having pass alarms on people in case somebody goes down uh you can uh, hear that someone's immobile so So it's interesting that this came out of the recommendations. Uh, Initial round of fire department leadership program was hosted by the Baltimore Fire Academy in development prior to, and at the time of the Stricker Street incident, All encompassing overview of leadership, operations, administration, communications, and logistics. The overall arching goal of the program is to improve officer performance, both administrative efficiency and operational decision making. So that was already in process when this happened. So they knew somebody had identified before that there was a lacking in their command training and simulations and stuff. And they uh, were building their own simulations using SIMS U-Share command simulation software. Which is great, you know. Build your own, why not? Uh, that, that's fine. Safety officers now dispatched automatically on any incident where Communications Bureau receives multiple calls, and can continue to also self-dispatch. And they're working on the electronic database, like you were saying, Doug. IT is working on improving it so that CAD and the mobile data terminals will have immediate information on previous fires and any other inspections that were done which makes total sense and it's i mean it should be relatively it's just office hour time right uh it guys time to program it and get it in training mayday training is another uh thing that they've uh increased their mayday training updated their writ bags rescue straps uh floor drop simulation prop was built to practice collapse and simulated basement fires with collapse training doug you and i did basement Fire writ training years ago here in Lacombe. I remember doing it up at the college there in the old house and dragging people up the stairs. We didn't actually have a collapse prop, that's kind of cool. Just to wrap this up um, one of the contributing factors moving forward can be influenced by society. Communities expect highly trained specialists to respond quickly and perform dangerous tasks. How oh, it's always been done approach uh, as a culture often blocks uh, progress in, these, in many areas. The tradition of aggressive firefighting has always been entrenched in the Baltimore City Fire Department. Therefore, the goal of the department should be to employ aggressive firefighting tactics that are performed in a smart and calculated manner. Our members require education and training to help them understand how to face this difficult and timely decisions that are demanded of the fireground. Row house fires pose considerable risk to fire spread due to the buildings being attached. The damage to these buildings is less severe when a quick interior attack is made on the initial fire building. The approach to a vacant structure fire must be well calculated, organized, and managed with good strategy and tactics. It must also include the possibility of entrapment. As per Baltimore City Fire Department Office of the Fire Marshals, 50% of the fire deaths in 2021 occurred in illegally occupied vacant houses.
3: See, Paul, that's what we are saying. Vacant doesn't mean there's nobody in there, right? Well, we still don't want to in there.
0: There's a long history of pride, dedication, aggressive fire uh, tactics, and spirited rivalry, although uh, there remains a sense of rivalry and competitive culture in the department. The satisfaction of arriving first to the scene has been a rewarding effect on the members. Currently, many of the personnel have described the competition as reaching a point of distraction from the focus of the important tasks presented out of fire and the importance of good decision-making. It is the responsibility of the unit's officers to control competition and rivalry. The importance of a strong incident assessment and a team approach cannot be neglected. The the, uh, Officer Development Program is focusing on this and includes developing effective risk-benefit assessments and operational decision-making. Uh, improvement of situational awareness, understanding of individual responsibility, the importance of strong leadership will add in understanding and addressing culture in the fire service, maintaining aggressive professional firefighters. There was one other thing that I didn't mention here. I guess I didn't highlight it, but I wanted to, is they actually took uh, thoughts on the fact that many of these houses that are attached to vacant houses or that either have people living in them like renters or Uh, squatters is to them, if they lose everything that they had, that's, it's a big problem that these people are then either homeless or they're homeless with less stuff, which is a big reason why the department is so aggressive at fighting these vacant building fires or, you know, down neglected neighborhood fires which it's a fact and so i i thought i was in here and i I forgot to highlight it but it really hit me as something that was important that you don't normally consider is that like these guys don't have insurance these guys can't help themselves up if they lose their possessions because their house or the house next door goes down in in flames
3: no that's why they're so aggressive we've seen this in um in uh detroit where there's so many vacant buildings but there's occupied right next door so you have to be aggressive to knock that fire down so that there's not another house that becomes vacant because the people have to move out right and that that's the the pride i see in, in in this like you're fast you're aggressive you put out the fire to prevent the spread and prevent from uh, people from being homeless right? yeah
0: here it is one would ask the question why risk anything to protect a building The decision to enter a structure is one of the critical moments guiding the direction of a firefighting incident. Many tactical decisions are based on this defining moment. In low-income settings, much of it if not all of the occupants' possessions are contained in the home, they rarely have the funds to purchase insurance and protect their possessions. Therefore, the mindset of the department's members is a long standing tradition to preserve as much of these possessions as possible. In many instances, the most effective way of protecting the spread of a fire is the interior attack, especially with row house fires. So I just thought that was really well.
3: I, I love it. I absolutely love it. They put the people and their property right, first. Right. Despite that, they lost three people. I mean, they, they are still, they still want to be aggressive. They still want to serve the public. They just want to be more diligent when it comes well, to training. It
0: adds, yeah, exactly. Command and all that kind of stuff. But it adds another dimension, right? My house catches fire okay, well, as long as Paul and they're out and if they get the pets and the passports and the pictures, you know, who cares about the rest, right? I mean, it, whereas for a, for low-income families, it's totally different. So I like that. Oh, okay, we went super. a little long here, but uh, I think it was a really good discussion and, and hopefully people get something out of it. Any last uh, thoughts?
2: Well, guys? one thing I wanted to add that I don't think it was in the thing here, but I remember seeing on like Facebook a couple days after this report came out, they did add age to the battalion chiefs. Oh, so okay. Know, it's not. I don't right think here. if they yeah, canceled yeah. the sixth yeah. engine thing, or if, if it's in addition to that. But the they put all the battalion chiefs got a captain as their aides. Good, awesome, yeah. So that's good to hear.
3: And uh, I see the uh, the chief resigned after right. the. Uh the inquiry finished the report. So it's that kind of, I don't want to be part of the change or is that kind of like, you know what? It's partially my responsibility. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. I've never heard uh, any what reasons, but yeah. Cool. Thank you all for listening to another emergency traffic podcast. We really appreciate your interest and we hope that we find that you find these interesting and informative. Give us a like, a star, a thumbs up on the app you use to listen to us. These mean a lot to us and they help the algorithms for people to learn about our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Twitter Podcast Traffic or our Facebook page, the Emergency Traffic Podcast and Instagram. You can email us at theemergencytrafficpodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe. See you in the big
3: one.